Uh, and uh, v- verse number two, and when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwellings among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. And we've, we were looking here last time, and we'll do it again tonight, at this issue of this unclean spirit and what they are, and the issue of them being disembodied spirits. And we looked last time at the flood issue there, where, where the angels that visited Genesis 6 amongst uh, the sons and daughters of men and so forth, how that they came about to, uh, Psalm says, you're going to die like men, and that's where they're at. So the, the unclean spirit here, by the way, you go over to Luke 8, and we find out that this guy had no clothes on, and the unclean spirits, the legion, catch him and drive him, and they have this great influence and so forth, and so and on, and he can't break free. Nothing human can hold him. He has supernatural, superhuman uh, abilities. And again, the picture here is Israel's condition. They're under the satanic captivity. And what Christ is doing here in, in verse 2 to 20 is he's demonstrating how he's going to come in, and he's going to Isaiah 49 them, and save the day, and liberate Israel from satanic captivity. Take Israel literally and set and cast out the devils, cast out the demons, cast out the unclean spirits, and then go and deal with them. So when we are talking about the unclean spirits, these guys, Satan has rallied his army. Uh, that thing in Luke, where the Luke 11, where the strong man in his palace, and he's armed, and he's protecting his goods. Satan has rallied all of his troops to the, to the land of Palestine, to Israel, because who's there? Well, the Messiah is there. He knows who's there. He knows he's the one who can liberate Israel, both heal them of their diseases and their sins, and ultimately forgive their sins. And he knows they're the ones that are going to come in and then liberate and set them free from Uh, satanic captivity so they are there Uh, come over with me to revelation chapter 9 what i want to do this evening again is just in thinking about these unclean spirits here just kind of look at them in scripture and get an idea here of some things that are happening really this this guy in mark 5 they, we call him the maniac of Gadara. He's not a maniac, all right? He's under the satanic captivity. He's under the satanic mindset, thinking process. By the way, when, he, when the Lord cast him out, he puts his clothes back on, sits down, and then he's back in his right mind. So he's not really lost his mind. He just has this influence, and that's what the cutting you know, cutting yourself, that's what Baal did uh, second, back then in 1 Kings 18 and so forth. And you go back to Leviticus and Moses tells Israel, don't cut yourself, don't, don't tattoo yourself. He didn't call it tattoo, he's mark, drawing markings and stuff. And, you know, I, again, getting ready for the men's meeting on Saturday, tattooing is the fourth fastest growing franchise today in this in, in this country 20 less than 20 years ago you had to go hunt a tattoo parlor you had to go looking for it you had to be on the wrong side of the tracks and there's a reason for that and the reasoning is is that the populace back 10 50 well 20 30 40 50 years ago the populace understood some things that the culture today has no clue about. Uh, there, there's a, I can remember my grandfather and the, and, and the stories that were told and stuff about 
when Robert Kennedy was uh, elected president, when JFK, not Robert, John, JFK, and the comment was, the country's going to go to hell now in the handbasket because the first Democrat has been elected to president. Why is that? Well, they belong to a, a religious group that has thinkings that bend not towards Scripture but away. And there's a lot of things in that thought process that, you know, it happens like, my goodness, and I, I want us to know about it, so that's, it's going to be coming in church, but... I'm going to lay so heavy on the men Saturday, but because, <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly, knock you over. Because there's some things about the issue of the spiritual darkness, this, un, this guy here, the unclean man, the unclean spirit, sorry. But there's some things that are going on in Scripture, honestly, that we as grace believers, when you look around the world and it looks like it's falling apart, there is a reason for that. And the reason for it is a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual issue. It's not a, oh, well, now we can go get this or that. There's a spiritual issue. And again, if you look at history, our history, you go back into the 50s, the 40s, the 50s, even the 60s, and there was great thought processes about we can't let that spiritual darkness get a grip and a hold. Okay, And they would vote certain ways, vote certain people out, you, you see the road things that are going on right now? You ought to be reading the stuff online that the neighborhood is saying. And they are up in arms, and they're voting out the city council the next election. They're like, we're done with this. This is not what was presented in the meeting. This was this. And they're, they're bowing their back. And I'm sitting here going, well, go get them, because we don't like it either. But the thing is, is the last election cycle, they elected these folks in because they didn't like the conservative mindset. They didn't. I, I remember sitting, I went to a, several of the little council things in the, in the neighborhood, the neighborhood, not our neighbors around us. That, uh, our neighbors around us now are different from back then. They were all, you know, the capitalists, and you can't do this, and you can't do, and, and now, so they vote all this liberal, if you will, side to it. And I'm for the neighborhood being safe and everything. But to do that, it's just like, boom, you know. So anyway, I get way, you found Revelation 9, and that's where I need you to be. All that was just commercial. You can take that and a dollar bill and uh, go get you something that's somewhere I don't even know anymore. Maybe a soda at McDonald's. McDonald's still has the dollar drinks, I think. So anyway. Uh, Revelation 9 here. In Revelation 9, we have the fifth trumpet, or the, and the, which is the first woe. And then we have the second, the sixth trumpet, the second woe. And the focus is here on these are going to be on the people. But there is an outbreak of demonic activity against man on the earth here that we read about in this chapter. And what it's going to do is it will compare with the outbreak that's happening in the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, the outbreak of demonic activity in the Lord's ministry in the Lord's day was due to what? He's there, the one that's come to liberate Israel, to establish his kingdom, and to do, he's there. And he's demonstrating in his first coming of that meek and lowly coming, that I am the Messiah, I will do this, this is how I'm going to do it. And he's fulfilling the prophecies and the prophets and everything. And Israel stumbles and misses him. But the thing is, is there's a demonstration there. And because of man, Satan and the demonic activities, they hate us. They hate man. They don't love you. They hate you. Why? Because you're the tool, you're the instrument God's going to use to re reconcile everything back. So here's the man, the Lord Jesus Christ, and what are they doing to him? They're pounding on him. They're pummeling, you know, they're, they're after him. And yet, what happens? Well, we have this activity here. Remember Genesis 3, the attack on Adam and Eve. It's really an attack on God's word. Question the word, add, subtract, those five. 
Yeah, the, 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 the worst thing that, he could, that Satan said to Eve was, you will be like the gods. As soon as he said that, he had man. And he knows that. He understands that. They fall for it. Genesis 6, the time of Noah, the days of Noah. We looked at that last time. What did they do? The angels, they leave their first estate. They come down. They mingle with men. They invade humanity. Why? Well, there's a little promise of the seed line in chapter 3, but the issue is, is that they want to possess all of humanity. So, again, God judges them, judges the whole, of, the whole creation, judges those fallen angels, and when that happened, Satan, Satan lost quite a few in that. He suffered a tremendous loss. So there's devils and demons and unclean spirits here that are, you know, they're running around. They're the fallen angels. They're running around, and they blame man. They're, they're not sitting here blaming themselves or anything. They're after you and I. Now, a little different today in the age of grace, but in Scripture here, look at Revelation 9, look at verse 1. And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth. And to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. So we have a star. Come back over to chapter 1 and verse number 20. Chapter 1 and verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars, which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the what? The angels of the seven. So stars in the book of Revelation are what? Angels. So there's an angel that's been cast out or comes down, fall from heaven, 9-1. And what does he have? He's got the key to the bottomless pit. Now, who has the key? Well, you, are you, go back there to chapter 1 again and look at verse 18. The Lord speaking, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys of hell and death. Well, the bottomless pit is a compartment of hell. So the Lord has the keys. When you have keys, you have power, you have authority, okay? You have the ability to come in. Here, if you have, if I've given you a key, you have the ability to enter this building and the building next door. If you don't, and you have one of the old keys, then you can't get in this building, but you can still get in next door because we haven't changed the locks on the back door yet. Okay? They're expensive. We were doing them slowly. We're not doing them anymore right now because you can't get half the stuff anymore. But see, the thing is, is what would you have? You would have authority. You have approval to go in, to come in, to go. So he gives this key to notice to of the bottomless pit now when you think about a bottomless pit i think about bottomless fries at red robin so you know where i'm thinking dinner time right you know and what what does that mean it, there's never an end to it but the, it is located here on the earth it's it, it's got a it, if it's got a key then what does it what does that indicate it's got a door it's got a lock on it it can be open. So there's an opening to the spirit world. There's an opening to the spirit realm here. Bottomless, no floor. I don't know if you guys remember, we used to go up to uh, Six Flags of America. I don't know what it's called anymore. And they had a thing, you, a ride you can get in, and it would spin you, and then the floor would drop out, and the, uh, the force of going around would hold you to the wall. And, you know, you could get up there and you could try to move and all that stuff. Bottomless, no floor. In Isaiah 14, the, the adversary, he said, You're th I'm going to throw you down into the pit. There's no bottom to it. Constantly falling. It's going. It's ongoing. That's that, that issue of when the Lord describes death and it being a miry and it watery, and it's like you're drowning. Oh, just no way to catch a break. 9-2. And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit, as the smoke of a great furnace. 
Isn't that interesting? The way John describes that, smoke and fire and furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. And there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth. And unto them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. Notice notice the, the description here. Locusts. He's not talking about the insect. Okay? He's not talking about the little bug that's running around. He's talking about demonic creatures. That's what he's talking about. If you look over at verse 11, just look at verse 11. He's talking about supernatural creatures here. Look at verse 11, 9-11. And, and they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit. So this, the, these creatures coming out of the bottomless pit have a king over them. Now, hold on to here. Run back to Proverbs 30. Proverbs 30. Because you've got to put all this kind of together. It, it's, it's, I had a guy one time tell me, Rick, I just want one verse. And I'm like, you can't do one verse. You've got to put like a chain together. And the chain builds the picture. Look at Proverbs 30. Look at verse 24. There be four things which are little upon the earth, but they are exceeding wise. Then you've got the ants, then the conies. Look at verse 27. The locusts have what? No king, yet go they forth all of them by bands. You see, the locusts, the animal kingdom, they don't have a king. These guys in nine, what do they have? They have a king. They have to have somebody keep them in line. They have to have an authority figure. So when you come back to Revelation 9, 9 3, the locusts here and the scorpions here, they're not the little bugs. All right. Now, if you, I, I try to think about John. Here's a first century Jew believer, and he's pulled way out future of us, and he gets to see locusts, what he describes as locusts. He'll describe the false prophet and making the image of the Antichrist speak to him. And I'm sitting there, well, how else would a first century Jew describe a television? or live streaming. How else would he describe, he's going to describe some flying thing, things there. How else would he describe a helicopter? He can't say, hey, a helicopter, because they're going to go, what's that? He's de- because locusts care, what do, do you remember the plagues and there was a plague of locusts? It, what does it gin up in a, in, in a believer's mind? Judgment, trouble, nothing good is coming here. And that's literally what's happening here. Verse 4, And it was commanded them that they should not hurt. See that, commanded them? If, if they don't have someone in charge, these guys run rampant. They're many. They're, they're like a rabid dog. They're everywhere. I was talking to Phil. They're, they're going to Hawaii, and uh, they're having to quarantine their dog. Why? Why? Because Hawaii doesn't want rabies. Do you know that Hawaii has no snakes? Isn't that fantastic? I didn't know that. He, Phil was telling me, he's like, yeah. And I'm like, why? He goes, because they don't want snakes. And he was telling me about Guam. Guam was the same way. They had no snakes. And a, tr- and a tree snake got introduced to the ecosystem, and now they have half the bird population that they used to have because a tree snake goes up and eats the eggs and so forth. So they're trying to, and I'm sitting there going, well, you know what? That was smart. <laughs> Somebody said, time out, we're not having this. We're not going to have rats and roaches. And, and Now, they do have lizards on Hawaii, and, well, you know, they do have spiders, I guess, because of the, hum- the, the, the uh, environment. But l- look at this. There, and it was commanded, verse 4, them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, ne- neither any tree, but only those men which have, have not the seal of God in their foreheads. Notice, they can't hurt the... So what, locust, what does locusts do? They come in and destroy the plant life, don't they? 
But here, these supernatural creatures are only going after men, people. And it, now, by the way, who don't have the mark of God in their forehead? Those that took the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast guys over here. Notice how that verse says that. But only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. The, the, so they're going to go after now those that have the mark of the beast on them. Verse 5. And to them it was given that they should not kill them, but that they should be tormented five months. And their torment was as the torment of a scorpion when he striketh a man. Now, if you've ever been struck by a scorpion, you know what that's like. I have. I've, I've been hit several times. Okay? You know, and I, the, the weirdest one was he got me up here, right on the chin, right below the ear. And it, I had to sit down on that one um, and kind of let my head catch back up to my everything else. But, you know, you get, and all it is is it's just you take a needle and just go real as fast as you can on your arm, and and then get the sensation going, and then keep doing it because I mean it's just a, it's a sting. But what are they doing? They're tormenting. They're tormentors. That's what they're doing. There's a five month attack. Now, guess what? What is the number five in your Bible? It's the number of death. If if you're under attack for five months, like, like with a scorpion, what are you wanting to happen to you? Just let me die and be done with this. And that's literally what's taking place. Verse 6, In those days shall men seek death and shall not find it and shall desire to die, and death shall flee from them. And the shapes of the locusts were like unto horses prepared unto battle. And on their heads were, as it were, crowns like gold, and their faces were as the faces of men. And they had hair as the hair of women, and their teeth was as the teeth of lions. As the, look at the terminology. What are they, there is, this is battle here. These guys are in full armor. They're, in, they're, they're ready for battle. Verse 8, you'll notice that they have hair as, of women. And then they have teeth as the teeth of lions. You see, these are supernatural creatures. Hair of women, different hair lengths. So to say, well, in other words, they don't all look the same. These are very different. Verse 9, and they had breastplates, as it were, breastplates of iron, and they... And the sound of their wings was as it, the sound of chariots of many horses running to battle. Notice, who, a soldier wears a breastplate. A soldier is in a chariot and the horse is fully drabbed and off and going. So these guys are not after just coming up to say, hey, how you doing? What are they coming to do? They're coming to take out and to destroy and to annihilate but what do they got over them? Verse 10, and they had tails like the uh, under scorpions, and, and there were stings in their tails, and their power was to hurt men five months. For, and they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue hath his name Apollyon. One woe is past, and behold, there came two woes more hereafter. Woes aren't good. But what I want you to see is, that angel goes down there, opens the bottomless pit, and notice what comes out. Now, in Mark 5, they're already on the earth. What did that, what did that guy in Mark 5, what's that, what are that legion, 2,000 spirits in him, what are they doing to him? They're beating the tar out of him. They're tearing him. We looked last time where we went over, and that lady that had the, the, the issue there, she's being ripped to shreds inside. She's bowed over, can't stand up. Why? And she's, they're just merciless with them. Because who are they? They're the adversary's soldiers. They've moved into that northern territory up there, north of tribe of Dan. We looked at it. And they're, they're created a, a realm of darkness great horror of dark spiritual darkness now watch verse 13 
And the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel, which had the trumpet, Loose the hounds, <laughs> no, loose the four angels, which are bound in the great river Euphrates. So now here's the second woe. And the four angels were loosed, which were prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year for to slay the third part of men. So what were they loosed to do? Slay men. Now we're going to kill some men. So now there's something happening that's even the next bad thing. And the number of the army of the horsemen were 200,000, and I heard the number of them. They were 200 million of these guys. That's the thousands, thousands. 200 million of them. And thus I saw the horse in the vision, and them that sat on them having breastplates of fire and of jacinth and brimstone, and the heads of the horses were as the heads of lion, and out of the mouths issued fire and smoke and brimstone. But these three was the third part of men killed by, I'm sorry, by these three was the third part of men killed by the fire and by the smoke and by the brimstone which issued out of their mouths. Fire. What does fire do? It consumes you. I mean, if you think about, if you watch, you put a log on, throw another log on the fire. You throw a log on the fire. What does it do to that log? It consumes it. What does smoke do to you? Suffocates you. Okay? Brimstone, that, uh, that's a sulfur smell. The rotten egg smell, sulfur. It, 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 it poisons you. They kill a third of the men. A quarter of them are already dead. Here comes a third more. So you're talking about a billion people, roughly. Could you come out like, whoa. So, by the way, this is all in the Middle East. Do you know who's in the Middle East that's got that many people? A lot of China, India, there's a lot of people over there. Again, it's focused in on the Middle East, but it's being felt worldwide. Verse 19. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails. For the tails uh, were like unto serpents and, their, and had heads, and with them they do hurt. And the rest of men which were not killed by these plagues yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk. Look at that. They see all this carnage, and you know what? doesn't even phase them. They just keep moving. Neither repented they of their murders, nor their sorceries, nor their fornication, nor uh, of their thefts. What in the, look at what's going on there. These guys just keep, man just keeps on humming. And you got all of this demonic, what's going on in Israel in Mark 5? They just keep on humming. What's that, what, you remember in Mark 5 when we went down there? The Lord cast the demon, the, the, the unclean spirits out, and the guys raising the swine and all that come down there and yell at the, shoo him away, get out of here, go and go. And the guy that had the unclean spirit, he wants to go with, and, and the Lord says, no, go and publish. Tell your friends, family, what's happened here. And he leaves and goes home back to Decapolis. Now, do you see the thing here about the Euphrates River? Back up in verse 14. That is very special indication there. Because in Scripture, there are three locations to where there is a portal into hell and the lake of fire and the demonic spirit world. Try to figure out how to say it, okay? The Euphrates River is one of them, but let's go back to Exodus. And just I just want to we'll spend the rest of the evening looking at this, just to give you something to think about. Exodus 15. Exodus 15. 
You've got, again, Revelation 19, you've got a bottomless pit, you've got the um, Euphrates River. But in Exodus 15, you have the, the first location that ends up being the location of hell. Then you have the, uh, here in the Red Sea, uh, then you have the location there south of the Dead Sea, and then you have the Euphrates River. So those are the three areas. But look at Exodus 15. In Exodus 15, we have the Exodus. We have the crossing of the Red Sea. Verse 1, Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord, and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath... Uh, triumphed gloriously, and the horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. The horse and the rider. Pictured as Pharaoh, but that's the adversary. There's the usurper. There's the Antichrist. Take him. Again, Exodus 1.8, he doesn't know anything about uh, the history. Isaiah 52 calls him the Assyrian, calls him a usurper, and yet what's going on? Here they are. Uh, By the way, if you look back up at verse 30, Thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. And Israel saw that great... See how Israel is walking by sight? That's their mode of operandi. They need their signs and their wonders. And the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Now, just keep reading 15.2. And the Lord is my strength and song, and he is... So they're going to sing a song here. By the way, when Israel sang, it's not like we sing on Sunday mornings. They were singing doctrine. They would sing these pat, this whole Deuteronomy 30, 31, 32, the song of Moses. He would literally stand and sing that information. Um, the, verse 2, the Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare him a habitation, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his hosts hath he cast into the sea. His chosen captains also are drowned in the Red Sea. Notice the Pharaoh, notice and his captains. He's clean, getting the hierarchy. Verse 5, the depths have covered them. They sank into the bottom as a stone. Do you see that? But wait a minute. What, what did 1430 say? We saw the bodies up on the seashore. See that? But what happens in 15.5? They're covered and they sink. into. He's not talking about their bodies. He's talking about their souls. See? He's, the bodies are floating around up here on the seashore. Here now he's talking about something else. He, he's got the rider, the horse, all of it, the chariots, the whole bit. And where are they? He's, their souls have sunk down into the bottom. Thy right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, hath dashed in pieces the enemy. And in the greatness of thine excellency, thou hast overthrown them that rose up against thee. Thou sent, uh, sentest forth thy wrath, which consumed them as stubble. Notice what's happening here. This great picture of the second coming. This great picture of that future day, that stuff we're reading in Revelation, coming to fruition. And it's starting right here on day one of Israel's national life. That's why you'll hear me say the Old Testament is a dress rehearsal for the real deal. Here's as in the day of her youth, so it's going to be over here. As in the day of battle, as in the valley, here's the picture, here's the reality. Verse 8, and with the blast of thy nostrils, the waters were gathered together. The flood stood upright as a heap. And the depths were congealed in the heart of the sea. Notice the depths congealed. There's a change here from fluid to solid. I don't know if you've ever walked on the bottom of a lake up close to shore, unless you're with scuba gear, please. And it's really mushy through your toes, and it's slimy. 
And yet, what's Israel going to do? They're going to walk over on dry land. So there's a movement here. There's a change. The sea is parted. The ground is hardened. Drop down to verse 19. For the horses, the horse of Pharaoh went in with his chariots and with his horsemen into the sea, and the Lord brought again the waters of the sea upon them. But the children of Israel went on dry land in the midst of the sea. Pharaoh comes in, Revelation 6, the rider and his horse, there's the Antichrist, and the sea comes down on him in wrath and kills him and drags him down into the bottomless pit. Israel walks right over him on solid ground. That opening there in the midst of that Red Sea, the middle of the Red Sea. Now, by the way, that will help you understand why the map drawers hate putting it down there on the Red Sea. They want to put it up somewhere else. They say, see, it can't happen. Well, there's a reason why. Because in that Red Sea, there's a shaft that goes down into the bottomless pit. If you look down at verse 17, Thou shalt bring them in and plant them in the mountain of thine inheritance. And the place, O Lord, which thou hast made for thee to dwell in, in the sanctuary, O Lord, which thy hands have established. What is Israel? It's about Israel and what? The kingdom. And him, Emmanuel, dwelling with us. There's a war, there's a battle in the delivering of Israel from Egypt that is spiritual. That's a dress rehearsal for the real deal one day. And what's happening? Pharaoh, Antichrist, and his captains. There's the false prophet. There's all the, the king of the bottomless pit. All those guys. And what's happening to them? We're seeing in picture here their demise. Come over with me to uh, Psalms 66. Psalms 66. So there's some stuff that are, that's happening here. That, that issue there about the, the water congealing there and then they go over on dry land then pharaoh and them come in it, it congeals back up and phoom, sucks them right on <laughs> gets them psalm 66 verse 1 make a joyful noise unto god all ye land sing forth the honor of his name make his praise glorious say unto god how terrible art thou in thy works by the way terrible there isn't awful it's it's the wonder of it uh, 66.3, uh, Psalms. Art thou in thy works? Through the greatness of thy power shall thine enemies submit themselves unto thee. All the earth shall worship thee and shall sing unto thee. They shall sing to thy name, Selah. Come and see the works of God. He is terrible in his doings toward the children of men. He turned the sea into dry land. They went through the flood on foot. There did we rejoice in him. He's talking about the, the Red Sea, the crossing there, obviously. What does he do? He made it, he congealed it. He took it from fluid to dry. Israel, I, I love that verse, in Israel... He turned the sea, and they went through the flood on foot. They didn't float. They didn't, you know, they had a dry baptism, by the way. That's what they had. When Moses, when Paul quotes Moses in 1 Corinthians 10 over there and says that they were all baptized under the cloud under Moses, that was a dry baptism identification. That's why understanding that is critical. Come over to Isaiah chapter 51. Isaiah 51. And we can do this all night. Isaiah 51, verse 9. Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake, as in the ancient days, in the generations of old. Art thou not in it that hath cut Rahab and wounded the dragon? Again, Rahab here is not Rahab the harlot. Actually, this is literally a city called by the name of Rahab. It's located in Egypt. But what did he do? He wounded the dragon. Now, who's the dragon? It's Satan. It's the devil. It's Isaiah 27.1. It's Leviathan, the crooked serpent. It's, you know, all, 
Job 41, the behemoth, it's all of that of who he represents. Drop down to verse, well, verse 10. Art thou not it which hath dried the seas, the waters of the great deep, and hath made the depths of sea a way for the ransom to pass over? Who's the ransom? Israel. I ransomed you from Egypt. I got you out of that. That's why he told Moses, look, you're going to go into Pharaoh. You're going to tell him, let my people go. He ain't going to do it, but you're going to do it. And then you're going to demonstrate to him. Ten times we're going to demonstrate to him that I am God, almighty, creator. And he will then let me go. And, we, and what do the people do? They're murmuring. They're, they're kicking. They're all upset. They don't get it. And yet, what's he doing? In, in the spirit battle, he's ransoming Egypt out of the grips of satanic captivity. Now, Satan says, that's okay. I'll get them. And he goes and nails them. That's why in Isaiah 49, if you go back, look back over Isaiah 49, verse 24, what does he ultimately say? Shall the prey, that's Israel, be taken from the mighty, that's Satan, or the lawful captive, that's Israel, delivered. What happened? They got on there at the Mount Sinai, and they said, everything you say, we're going to do it. They didn't learn their lessons of Jehovah, and they turn around, and he makes a covenant agreement with them, and what they instantly go do? Break the covenant. Satan goes, lawfully their mind. They broke your word. They belong to me. But thus saith the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken away, and the prey of the terrible shall be delivered. For I will contend with him that contendeth with thee, and I will save thy children, and I will feed them that oppress thee with their own flesh, and they shall be drunken with their own blood, as with the sweet wine. And all flesh shall know that I, the Lord, am thy Savior, thy Redeemer, the Mighty One. He's ransomed them. Now, when Isaiah writes this, he says, I will contend with, uh, with thee. He doesn't know that he's talking about Calvary. He just knows, Isaiah knows there's a spiritual battle taking place, a conflict of the ages. If you look in chapter 50 and you come to verse 8, well, verse 6, I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. <laughs> That's a description of what happened at Calvary, Psalms 129, Psalms 22, all that. Verse 8, he is near that justifieth me. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is mine adversary? Let him come near to me. So you have, he's going to ransom this, but how did he do it in 51.10? He dried up the, the sea. He dried up the waters of the great deep and hath made the depths of the sea a way for the ransom to pass over. By the way, Passover, it's coming. All of these little things are just beginning to line up. Come back to Psalm 69. Psalms 69. So when you think about this issue about the Red Sea as being a location for hell, or a, a location of a shaft down into hell. Now, don't go run over to the Red Sea and start looking for it. You're not going to find it, okay? You know, <laughs> sorry. It's, it's there, but it's a spiritual thing, and it's a spirit thing that, it's a supernatural thing that God's going to open in the second coming and so forth, and he'll take care of business, but just relax, okay? Look at Isaiah 69. We call this the reproach psalm, but it's more, much more going on in it than that. Verse 1. Save me, O God, for, for the waters are come in unto my soul. I sink deep in deep mire where there is no standing. Again, think about the sea. No, he's in that... He's in that congealed stuff. He's in that mire, in that murk. I am coming to the deep waters where the floods overflow me. Now, where he's experiencing this is, uh, is Calvary. That's who we're talking about, Messiah. But he's, doing, he's experiencing this in his soul, verse 1. He's experiencing this. I have no clue what, it's, what it is to drown. But that's what he's describing here. 
I am weary of my crying. My throat is dry. Mine eyes fail while I wait for my God. He's down in the mire. He's sinking. No footing. Verse 13. But as for me, my prayer is unto thee, O Lord, in an acceptable time. O God, in the multitude of thy mercy, hear me in the truth of thy salvation. Deliver me out of the mire and let me not sink. Let me be delivered from them that hate me and out of the deep waters. Let not the water flood overflow me, neither let the deep swallow me up, and let not the pit shut her mouth upon me. Literally, on Calvary, while he's dying there, in those three hours of darkness, he's experiencing your second death, humanity's second death, and notice how he describes it and what's going on in his soul. Drowning, overflooding, deep mire, and don't let the pit shut her mouth on me. There's a the location of the entrance into this into the bottomless pit sits in that Red Sea. That's the picture being drawn here. The bottomless pit. That's where he holds those angels in the chains of darkness, Jude 6 and 7. It's where the entrance into hell there where the souls of men are kept and the fallen angels are kept. It, there's, a, there's an entrance there. Come over to Isaiah 34. Isaiah 34. And then, by the way, also, there's an entrance over in the Euphrates River. <laughs> We're going to get there, I hope, here. Dragging my feet, but going fast. Isaiah 34, verse 1. Come near ye nations. Now he's going to talk to the nations. To hear and hearken, ye people. Let the earth hear and all that is in therein, the world and all things that come forth of it. For the indignation of the Lord is upon all nations, and his fury upon all their armies. Notice who he's doing battle with. The nation's armies. He's not over here going house to house and door to door, killing people who, took, who aren't on his... He's over on the battlefield, the Battle of Armageddon, in the Valley of Decision there, and he's Satan... The Antichrist has called the armies of the world to the battlefield. And what he said, is that guy coming? You see that mess coming up there, all that heavenly stuff? That's the aliens, they're invading, they're going to land here, and we have to destroy them. And he can do that because of the third day he rose, he's sitting in the temple as God, having all that is worshipped come to him and do that. Second Thessalonians 2. He's got them duped. That's why the movies has geared people to think that anything coming out of the sky is bad news. Why? Because what's the course of the world doing? Hey, not, don't look up. You keep looking down right there. Verse 3, their slain also shall be cast out. Their stink shall come up out of the, their carcasses, and the mountains shall be melted with their blood, and all the host of heaven shall be dissolved, and the heavens shall be rolled together as a scroll, and all their hosts shall fall down. As the leaf falleth off from the vine, and as the falling fig from the fig tree. For my sword shall be bathed in heaven. That's Revelation 12. That's the description of what's happening at the war in heaven there with Michael. What's he do? He rolls up. Revelation 12 says that Satan and his angels are cast out, and their place is found no more. He takes that heaven, and he shakes out the inhabitants. He shakes out all of that unneeded governmental structure up there. He's reorganized the government back to where it needs to be because who's waiting in the wings? We find out we are, the, the church, the body of Christ. We're just waiting. He cleans it out. Now watch verse 5. Behold, it shall come upon Idumea and upon the people of my curse to judgment. The sword of the Lord is filled with blood. It is made fat with the fatness and with the blood of lambs and goats, with the fat of the kidneys of rams. For the Lord hath a sacrifice in Bozrah and a great slaughter in the land of Idumea. When he comes back in the route of his second coming, he's going to come down. If you think of, I'm not going to draw because I'm a lousy drawer. But if you think about the Mediterranean Sea, 
when you think about the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River, and the Dead Sea, okay? Change my mind. Here's the Mediterranean Sea, the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River, the Dead Sea. Not to scale, okay? <laughs> Jerusalem sits right across the way there, all right? He's going to come out of the north. He's going to come down through here. And while he's doing that, he's waging war. Idumea and Bozrah sit south of the Dead Sea. He's going to come down here, and then he's going to come here. And, and while he, by the way, he's following the route that the children of Israel were, had with Moses and the wandering in the wilderness. You ever wonder why they're sitting here one day, and all of a sudden they pack up, and they go a couple miles over here, and they camp again? And you go, why did they move? Why did they, they didn't go very far. The, there's a reason. Here's one of them, Idumea and Bozrah. They're close together. They're a few miles apart, but what are they? They're stomping grounds. Verse, not, uh, verse 7, And the unicorn shall come down with them, and the bullocks with the bulls, and their land shall be soaked with blood, and their dust made fat with fatness, for it is the day of the Lord's vengeance and the year of recompense for the controversy of Zion. And the streams, therefore, shall be turned into pitch, and the dust thereof shall... Uh, into brimstone, and the land thereof shall become burning pitch. It shall not be quenched night nor day. The smoke thereof, and you know what happens literally in his second coming, is there's a shaft down here that reaches down into hell where the souls of men are, and he burns all that opening to it. Now, the Red Sea's over here. And there's that shaft over here to the bottomless pit. Okay, that's the first place we were looking at. Now we've got a second opening over here in Idumea and Bozra. Come over to, uh, well, you're in Isaiah. Let's just walk that way. 63. Actually, 34. Is that right? We were just in 34, weren't we? Let's go to, go to 63. Let me see what that is. 63. 63 verse 1. Who is this that cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Bozrah? This is that, this that is glorious in his apparel, tra traveling in the greatness of his strength. I that speak in righteousness... Mighty to save. Wherefore art thou red in thine apparel, and thy garments like him that treadeth the wine fat? Why is he red? You just came from Bozrah. Why are you red? That's blood. What's he doing down there? The armies of the nations have what? The armies are out here. Okay? The armies of the world, of the nations, are out here. And what's he out there doing? He's got blood going up to the bridle. I have, verse 3, I have trodden the wine presses alone, and of the people there were none with me, for I will tread them in mine anger and trample them in my fury, and their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments, and I will stain all my raiment. For the day of vengeance is in my heart, and the year of my redeemed is gone. Come on over to chapter 66. Huh? Oh, it's come. What did I, I was... Looking, I was actually looking at the next, I was already in 66. <laughs> Isaiah 66, notice if you will, verse 22. For as the new heavens and the new earth, so where are we? We're after the great white throne judgment, we're over in the new, aren't we? Okay, we're in the new, we're in Revelation 21 and 22 and all that. Which I will make shall remain before me, saith the Lord, so shall your seed and your name remain. And it shall come to pass that from one noon moon to another and from one Sabbath to another shall all flesh come to worship before me, saith the Lord. Where does all flesh come to worship? They come to Jerusalem, don't they? Okay? We're in the new heaven. We're in the new earth. We're out there. All flesh is coming to Jerusalem, city of the great king, to worship. Now watch verse 24. And they shall go forth and look upon the carcasses of the men that have transgressed against me. There's Isaiah 34. 
For their worm shall not die, neither shall their fire be quenched, and they shall be an abhorring unto all flesh. Literally, as the inhabitants of the world come into Jerusalem to worship, and as then they leave Jerusalem and go out, you know what they pass? They pass a monument down there south into that Dead Sea. By the way, he puts his foot on Mount Olives, and all this gets rearranged ge- geography-wise. And they literally, he's got a monument out there, and it's a big old pit in the ground right down into hell. And what's sitting down there? The souls of the lost. And the description is worms, maggots, disgusting things. And its design is to remind man of what sin got you. And there's a reminder there. And there's a memorial there. And that's what's going on here. You with me? Now, go to Isaiah 13. South of the Dead Sea there. By the way, well, we're going that way. Jesus Christ burns up that area down there. Did I, I told you 13, right? On your way, stop at 30. Isaiah 30. Isaiah 30. And look at verse 31. Isaiah 30, 31. For through the voice of the Lord shall the Assyrian be beaten down, which smote with a rod. And in every place where the grounded staff shall pass, which the Lord shall lay upon him, it shall be with tabrets and harps, and in battles of shaking will he fight with it. It's going to be a tremendous battle. For Tophet, Tophet is ordained of old. Yea, the king is prepared. He hath made it deep and large. The pile thereof is fire and much wood. The breath of the Lord, like a stream of brimstone, doth kindle it. Do you see Tophet? That... That word topet is talking about a place of judgment. In the New Testament, the, the word is Gehenna, Mark 9. And what he's talking about for topet, he's talking about, and by the way, fire and wood, he's talking about hell as a place of what? Judgment. He's talking about a a shaft down into hell that's going to happen over here. And you're going to be able to look down in there and and see what's going on. And the Lord's going to do it. And he's already doing it. Now, come over to Isaiah 13. Isaiah 13. The, The third place, the third area. We'll do this quickly here. So out over here to the east is this little thing called the Euphrates River. Again, not to scale. Uh, All right? Euphrates River. Look at Isaiah 13. And notice with me verse 13. By the way, if it's 13, 13, it's not a good thing, is it? 13 is a number of the Gentile. It's a number of rebellion. Therefore I will shake the heavens, and the earth shall remove out of her place in the wrath of the Lord of hosts and in the day of his fierce anger. Ooh, it's going to hurt. Verse 17. Behold, I will stir up the meads against them, which shall not, not regard silver, and as for gold, they shall not delight in it. Their bows also shall dash the young men to pieces. And they shall have no pity on the fruit of the womb. Their eyes shall not spare children. Just massive destruction here. But notice who the destruction is. And Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldees, excellency shall be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. It shall never be inhabited. Neither shall it be dwelt in from generation to generation. Neither shall the Arabian pitch tent there. Neither shall the shepherds make their fold there. When God pours out his wrath on Babylon, it's going to look like he did it when he did Sodom and Gomorrah. So where do we got to go? We got to go back to Sodom and Gomorrah to see that, right? 
We're not going to do that. But, in, but notice something in verse 21. But wild beast of the desert, now there's a whole study about the desert, okay, shall lie there, and their houses shall be full of doleful creatures, and owls shall dwell there. In the par- parables, the fowls of the air are described, are de- defined as being devil, belonging to the devil. What's an owl? Now, there's some, a lot of stuff, typology going on with the owl and so forth, but they're, but they're there. But now watch the next guy. Satyr, satyrs, sorry, satyrs, satyrs, shall dance there. Now, what's a satyr? Do you remember? A satyr is half a horse and half a man. Where did that come from? Now we're back over in that thing in Revelation 9 when the bottomless pit's opened. But the thing is, is we're in the Euphrates River here. We're over in in Babylon. And the wild beasts of the island shall cry in their desolate houses and dragons in their pleasant palace. And her time is near to come and her days shall not be prolonged. What you're reading here, again, these creatures, we're in Babylon and there's a, it's a zoo of demonic, supernatural creatures. They're held, notice the wild beast of their islands. You go to the Phoenix Zoo over here, and you got Monkey Island, and a bunch of monkeys sitting on an island out there. Why is that? Well, that's to keep them away from you and you from them, see? But then you go up and you look at the big orangutan, and where's he at? He's in a big old palace, isn't he? He's in a cage. So you literally, over there, you're going to have a place, a zoo, if you will, in the millennial kingdom out there in the future where they can go and man can look at and view and see all of the ramifications of following the devil, Lucifer, Satan. And look at the, what it produces in creatures. You literally have a zoo, if you will. So you can go and look at a memorial to what Satan and being a part of Satan's program gets you. And it's going to sit, Revelation 9, over there in that Euphrates River area in Babylon. Okay, so you've got three shafts, if you will. Come over to, well, just come back to Mark. There's another passage, and drawing a blank, so just give me a second. Well, it's time to quit anyway, so... Come back to Mark 5. So when this guy, when we talk here about unclean spirits, we're, we're, we're not talking about just different, ooh. we're talking about real creatures. They're organized. By the way, they're prepared for war. They're ready to, for battle. They've been called. We're up here in the north. We're in the tribe of Dan. Dan is the way that Baal worship got introduced into the nation. King Ahab and Queen Jezebel make it the official religion of Israel. That's where the Star of David mess came from. It has nothing to do. David, Israel's symbol in Scripture is the burning bush, not some star over here. Okay? The star of Moloch, you read it all through the Old Testament and so forth. We could spend hours going through it. We will maybe one day. But the thing is, is in Mark 5, when the Lord shows up, this guy knows who the Lord is. Says, hey, who are, you're here a little early. I know what time you're supposed to be here. And, you know, can't you imagine? Just calm down, man. I'm just showing them. I'm showing off here a little bit. Out. <laughs> and off they go. You know that's what's happening. So you got two shafts 
into the spirit world. In the Red Sea, out here at the bottom end of the Dead Sea, Idumea, Bozrah, where he's going to burn it open. And then ultimately, you got that zoo out there for the creatures in the Euphrates River. That's Revelation 9, what we're talking about over there, okay? So just know that this stuff is real. It's organized. It's under the hands of the adversary. And God's got a plan to fix it. And that's what he's demonstrating in Mark 5 with the man here is, here's how I'm going to fix it, okay? Now, next week we'll get back into Mark 5 and maybe, I don't know, we'll see. See if something scratches the itch. But we'll get here in Mark 5 and we'll get back in and kind of get back going, okay? But just know that these, the demons, the unclean spirits and all that stuff, it, it's, it's something that you have to know, be aware of. That's real. It's there. It's not some hoodly-doo mystic thing. It's not mythology. It's a real deal. Okay? All right. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the evening. We thank you for the look into Scripture, for what it has to say on this subject. And we thank you for that. We thank you also for the clarity to be able to see it and read it, to understand, and then to be on guard against. In your name we pray. Amen. All right.